Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll study today uh, this broad section on marriage and especially focusing on husbands. If you're a lady and uh, you're wondering if you can switch off or leave the church today, uh, remember, especially if you're single and you are looking to get married, then these are these are the attributes or the characteristics you should be looking for in a man, in a, in a, a person to pursue you as well. But even if you have the gift of singleness, uh, perhaps there are a very, very, very few of you here that might have the gift of singleness. And how do you know if you have the gift of singleness? Well, if you're not longing to be married, if you don't want to be married, then you have the gift. Okay, but if you are frustrated with your singleness, you feel your singleness is a trial and adversity, you just want to get out, you're praying, Lord, send someone quickly, <laughs> then you know you don't have the gift of singleness and you should probably pursue marriage. But of course, uh, in God's timing, um, as I said last week as well, not lowering the standard, being so desperate that you marry poorly, but rather to be wise, to choose wisely, because there's nothing more painful, I, I believe, than a broken marriage. And God wants to spare us that if we build our marriages upon his word. But let's read the text together and then we'll dive in and study it. So let's read from verse 22 just to get the flow of thought and the context. This is the reading of God's word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Father, would you cause us as husbands here to reflect Christ's love for our wives in this text? Would you please restore broken marriages? Would you comfort those who are battling with loneliness and strengthen them even through this text? Help us anew to see and taste and believe Christ's great love for us. Please turn the hearts of husbands to their wives and let us call our wives our delight and our beloved again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, beloved, we are considering the most sacred human relationship on earth, marriage. Nothing is more important in this world than the earthly relationship of marriage. Nothing is more important to the world, to society, to our church than our earthly families. Before there was any sin in the world, there was a marriage. And after everything has been completed, there will be a marriage. From beginning to end, the Bible is bookended by a wedding, by a marriage. That's God's internal purpose with marriage. Look at, just drop down again to verse 32. Notice again, what's the whole purpose? This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage refers to Christ and the church. Isn't that amazing? In the beginning, right, when God made Adam and Eve, before there was sin, God had already had the church in mind. He already had a bride in mind for his son. So even before sin came into the world, there was a marriage to reflect that future relationship between Jesus and his church. So in each of our marriages, there's this massive responsibility to reflect that beautiful harmony and relationship between Christ and the church. Now, but for those of you who are single and or those of you who might have lost their husband or their wife or perhaps have felt the bitter pain or sting of divorce, the hope of this passage is this that Christ 
is our true bridegroom. Christ is what our marriages are pointing to. Listen, marriage is temporary. Christ and our marriage with him is eternal. Marriage is the shadow. Marriage is the photo. Marriage is the parable. Christ is the real person to whom marriages are pointing to. He is the one that our hearts are looking for. Your heart is looking for someone, and that someone is Jesus. Not a husband, not a wife, ultimately, but him. So pursue Christ, even in your singleness. Pursue him. Be so satisfied in him that you are content in your singleness and that you will marry well if you marry. And here's a great um, encouragement to all of you. The challenge of singleness and the challenge of marriage is the same challenge. It's this, to be supremely satisfied with Christ. That in singleness, your challenge is to be so satisfied with Christ that you are content in the waiting, content to make wise decisions before you rush and jump into a wedding or a marriage that you are going to regret later. And the challenge in marriage is the same, to be satisfied in Christ, not looking to your wife or your husband to make you happy. Because it takes about a honeymoon to realize it, your wife and your husband cannot make you happy. One of the first lessons you learn, oh, I thought you are going to make me happy. Why aren't you making me happy? <laughs> Why is my heart not satisfied with this marriage anymore? Which is very normal. So if you ever go through that and wonder if you've made a huge mistake, it's normal. Okay? It happens to, to every marriage. But that's the point. Christ is the key to a good marriage as well as to be single with contentment. He's the key. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, if you come to a relationship hungry and thirsty for that person to fill the deepest parts of your soul, you will be disappointed. Not just disappointed, you will crush that person under the weight of your worship. You will expect from that person to be somebody, to do something that they were never intended to be or to do. You cannot look even to a husband or to a wife to give you what only Jesus can give you. True joy, true peace, true satisfaction. So as a single person, as someone who might feel the pain of a broken marriage, listen, you are not some kind of a half person because you are either not married or looking to be married. No, if you have Christ, you have the substance, you have the real deal. And therefore pursue him, pursue him more, find your joy in him. So last week we've considered the wife's role, what the wife's role looks like, and, and summarized in two words. We see, even in the reading of the text, you could pick it up. The two words are submit and respect. That's, that's the wife's duty in a summary form. But her role becomes a delight and a pleasure when the husband fulfills his role. You see, again, these two roles are never meant to just be on their own. They were meant to work together. And when both husband and wife fulfill both their roles in harmony. That's when marriages are, are heaven on earth. When both husband and wife submit to Christ and obey this text. You see, when uh, I think it was Paul Washer who said in a sermon, when a wife looks around and see, sees her husband say the following, my name be honored, my kingdom come, my will be done. It would be a, it's going to be a crushing weight for her to submit under such a man. But if she turns around and she sees her husband on her knees praying, Father, your name be honored. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What a delight it would be for a wife to submit under such a man. So husbands, what's what God's will is for your marriage is clear in this passage. So clear, he repeats it over and over again. Either maybe we're slow learners, or I want to say it's because we as men struggle with this thing. Three times he says it. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love 
your wives as Christ loved the church. Look at verse 28. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Look at verse 33. However, let each one of you love. Okay, do you get the picture? So when God repeats himself, listen. Husbands, love. That's your duty. It's to love. That's the first key word for husbands to remember is we are to be our wives' lovers. And the second key word is found in verse 23 up above that says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. In other words, we are also our wives' leaders. So two L's for the husbands. We are to be lovers and we are to be leaders. And again, in both of them, Christ is our supreme standard of what leading looks like and what love looks like. But in this sermon, we're only going to focus on love. Next Sunday, we'll focus on leading. What does that leading look like practically? So today, we're going to look at husbands should love their wives. And here's a basic definition that I've picked up from another past that I think is very helpful. A definition of love is this. Three elements, three key elements into biblical love is this. Love is commitment plus presence plus affection. That's love. And that will be our outline as well. We're going to break that down. We're going to see how all three of those elements come out from the text. First, love at its very root, at its very foundation, love is a commitment. Love is a commitment. It's a, not just, now when it comes to marriage, it's a permanent commitment. When God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, he meant until death do you part. What can separate us from the love of Christ? That's so Christ's commitment to us is, is eternal. So we can't even reflect that, but it's a, that picture, that parable, that photo frame of a Christ-like marriage is, I'm going to love you until death. It's a commitment. Now, this already helps us to understand a basic misconception about what people think love is, right? Love is not primarily a feeling. Now, the key word I, I use there is primarily. If you read Song of Solomon, okay, there's a lot of feelings there. So it's good, it's holy, it's beautiful. But your love, true love is deeper than that. It's, it's not based, built upon your feelings. It's built upon a commitment, a choice of your will. Feelings often follow. Jay Adams um, made a beautiful point. Listen to what Jay Adams wrote. He says, Hollywood, ever since its beginning, has taught a pagan philosophy of love. The philosophy is that love happens. Love happens. Love is not something you work at. It's just, it just happens to you. Love comes full-blown from the head of Aphrodite. It's the kind of thing that just is or isn't. It isn't something that you work hard to achieve. It isn't a thinking thing. It is certainly not something that you can will. It is something that happens. And when it happens, it happens in such a way that you know that it has happened. It bowls you over. You hear music. You see wonderful lights. Have a near psychedelic experience. Such love at first seems wonderful. But what happens when the happening no longer happens? What happens when the happening is over? What happens when one or the other begins to have growing feelings for someone else? When something begins to happen with the secretary down, the, down at work? When something starts to happen with the neighbor next door? Is that the signal for change? If love is happening, what else would you be expect? Right? If that's the basis of love then that is what you should do. In the playboy philosophy, love is getting. It means getting what one can out of another person, using the other person as an object of love. It means grasping and holding and satisfying oneself by using another person. End quote. You see how that, this is our common idea of love, right? Love is, I just love this person. It's just in me. It's just my feelings. And then when you're married, you realize your feelings change. This person change. You change. And, you, and, and now you're confused. Oh, maybe we don't love each other anymore. But you see, that goes against the very first principle of love, that love is a commitment. 
It's a choice. It's a giving of yourself away. That's the basic meaning of verse 31. Just drop down again to 31. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Interest, this is the quote from Genesis 2.24. Before sin came into the world, God said man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Okay, that, this is God's blueprint from before sin and even right now after sin. If you want a happy marriage, just do these three steps and you'll be okay. Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Okay? That's what you need. Now, the first step is separation from father and mother, not necessarily geographically, right? Some, some people can live next door to their parents and have left, and some people live on the other side of the globe and have not left. The umbilical cord still needs to be cut. So leaving there refers to depending upon your parents emotionally, even financially to one extent, um, but just being dependent, looking to your parents primarily to, to, to provide for your needs. That's leaving. That's the first step. Secondly, cleaving is where our commitment comes in. Cleaving means holding fast to our wives, and our, it's a permanent cleaving. It's until death. You commit yourself to that person for the rest of your life. In other words, a saying Deborah and I love to say to each other is, divorce is not an option. It's not, it's not an option. It's not on the table. It's not an option. Now, Scripture does give biblical grounds for divorce. There are exceptions to the rule of no divorce. But again, always remember the exception merely proves the rule. What God has joined together, let not man separate. And I would argue the vast majority of our marriages or not, or the vast majority of today's divorces is not based on biblical standards. It's based on this worldly philosophy of love. Or, and again, I think um, Pastor Michael Rogers also illustrated this, this commitment in B.B. Warfield with his wife. You remember B.B. Warfield was married at the age of 25, 25 years old, and while on honeymoon with his wife, they both got stuck in a terrible thunderstorm. And the thunderstorm was so severe it affected his wife so badly that she was more or less an invalid for the rest of her life from there on. That so bad that he couldn't leave the house for more than two hours at a time before his wife would become crazy or become looking after him. Or, and yet, B.B. Warfield lovingly, patiently cared for her, loved her, committed to her until death. So if your wife gets Alzheimer's, Biblical love is to take care of her, right? If your wife is burned in an accident and she loses all of her natural beauty, love is to say, I promised until death do us part. I will love you. I will take care of you. If she gets brain damage or what, anything, whatever she loses, love says, I don't care. I have committed myself to you and to you alone. That's what love is. I've, I'm giving myself to you at the expense of myself. Even if it costs me my life, even if it costs me everything, I will be your husband. Now, this commitment goes deeper than just external deeds. This commitment must even be in our thoughts. Remember what Matthew 5 says, Matthew 5, 27, 28, the high standard of purity. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You don't have to commit the act to be an adulterer. Jesus says if you just look to other women with lustful intent, you are cheating on your wife. You have committed adultery. You are unfaithful as a husband. This means when someone, a lady is jogging past you, you don't look twice. It means... That you don't look at another woman and wonder secretly, I wonder how it would have been if I married that person instead of my wife. You don't fantasize over other women. You are committed to your wife both in your actions and your thinking. Everything belongs to her. And husbands, this is the commitment we need. This is at the base of love, of true love. And of course, that's why we can't do this on our own. 
We need the Holy Spirit. We need supernatural strength. We need to be filled with the Spirit to be able to give ourselves like Christ gave himself to the church. But let's now look, look at the second element, presence. So love is not just a commitment. It also has the element of being present. Present. Before Christ could die for us, he had to be present with us. What is his, one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. So present is he that he dwells within us by his spirit. He dwells within us. And what is heaven going to be all about? To be with the Lord. You see the new heavens and the new earth, not having a sick body, not wearing glasses, not having bald spots anymore. All of those glorious things. You know, you guys know I'm looking forward to that. But that's just a side product. That's just a side benefit. The biggest benefit is going to be to be with the Lord, is to see Him, is to be present with Him. And that's, look at verse 27. This is the goal. It says, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor. The church as His Bride, the beauty and glory of heaven is that simple fact that we will be with the Lord. Just as a reminder, Revelations 21, 3 to 4, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. There's the presence of God. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So husbands, this is very basic. Love is to be present with our wives. Our presence in the home must be felt. This means spending not just quality time with your wife, but quantity time. Now, of course, we know there are seasons of our, perhaps in our work, in our jobs that takes us away. But there should be that longing. Like, I want to... I want to rush back home. I want to be with my wife. I want to be with my family. There should be a holy irritation when you are longer away than a night from your family. You don't want to be here. You want to be there. That's, that's what true love looks like. 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives. I love, okay, here I prefer the King James. Dwell with your wives, Okay. Dwell with her, be with her, be present in the home. As a, as a couple of examples, I've heard a pastor that made a commitment that he's not going to be away from his house at least three nights. So at least for three nights in the week, he's going to be with his family. I know of another pastor, once he gets home, first thing he does, puts everything down, makes coffee and drinks coffee with his wife. I know of another couple who makes it a high priority to have at least one date night a week. Now again, different seasons will change how your presence will look like, like having kids, okay? Having kids, let me enlighten you, all of you, except though the, the parents and the older people can just say amen on everything I'm going to say now, okay? Having kids significantly changes your time with your wife, Significant, like dramatically, okay? And if you have to, double that, <laughs> double that. However, even then, you must be thinking, how can I schedule time with my wife? How can I make sure she has enough space and time for us in our marriage that we can have time to talk to one another, to have affection towards one another? And even then, the presence mainly is just by being with the kids. That is being present for your wife. It's often just being with the kids. Or you might have a brilliant plan like this. You might say bedtime is earlier that you can have that special night time just to be with your wife as well. So, but here's the mindset. The mindset is this. When you come home as a man, you say, like I said last week as well, my work only began. When you come home, take a shower, take a nap, do, do what you, but then get back into the family, work. You, you have a wife, you have children that need you. So that's the real job. Our job is to come home and to give ourselves away to our wives and to our children. Now, I think many men fell back into the single mindset. And I think it's a peculiarly masculine thing, right? We like to achieve things and then tick the box and move on. 
Married, check. Okay, what's next? Maybe this hobby, maybe this next thing, maybe this or that. And your wife starts, she was very interesting in the beginning, the first year, the second year. But as the marriage goes on, as the years pass along, she becomes a beautiful ornament in the house. You no longer see her. You no longer spend time with her. You no longer pursue her. That's one thing we have to do as men. The presence we have to keep on pursuing our wives, even after marriage. Keep on pursuing her. So men, this is a basic requirement for us as husbands is are you present in your family? Here's a few ways that might look like. Listening to your wife's concerns, her burdens and her anxieties, a big one, without fixing it. Or at least asking her, is this a listen to me conversation or is this a help me fix this conversation, right? Can you just help me distinguish that and then I can know what I should do in this conversation? But just listening to your wife, how are you doing? How are you really doing? Helping your wife with the chores. Helping her. Not waiting until she's buried under the, under the bird, under the work of the house. No, standing up and helping her. Stand up and do something. Reading to your wife the Bible and praying together with her. Sitting together in each other's presence. One of the most simplest things we neglect is eating at the family table. So simple, so powerful. Just, this is our sacred, this is a sacred moment. No cell phones, no TV in the background, no distractions. And another one, eye contact. Something as small as just looking into her eyes when she speaks. Again, especially if we're married for a long time, you, you, you kind of learn to multitask. You listen with one ear, but your eyes are on something else. No, learn to deny yourself and turn around and look. Non-sexual touch. Non-sexual touch. It's important. Showing your presence. No strings attached. I just want to hug you. Not, we're not, I'm not planning something for tonight. I just want to be with you. With young children, again, being involved in the children's lives. With all the children, you, can, you are present for ensuring quiet time with your wife in the midst of her busy schedule. So in short, husbands, do you, is, this what we, is this what you are doing? Is this what you are pursuing? Do you delight in your wife? Do you delight in her? When your wife looks at your marriage, does she see a picture of how Jesus loves the church? Or when other people look at the way you treat your wife, the way you listen to her, the way you are zealously, stubbornly pursuing her. This man is just inseparable from his wife. That's the picture of Christ in the church. Inseparable. So husbands, let us not just commit to our wives. Let us also really be present emotionally, physically. But here's the last thing, and this is affection. Affection. Now we've already touched a little bit on it, but here we're going to have a couple of subpoints. But verse 25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Look at that standard. That is an impossible standard. Who has loved like Christ loved? Who has given what he has given us? Right? Who can be so committed, so present, so affectionate like Christ? No one can. Yet, it is still commanded that we do that. So the Bible doesn't say, listen, this is an impossible command. Let me lower the standard that we all can keep that by our natural strength. No, it's, no, husbands, you still have to love your wife as Christ of the church. It's impossible. Yes, exactly. Go. Keep on. Be filled with the Spirit. That's why, again... Don't rely on your own manpower. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on Him. So again, the intention of this command is not to fulfill that command perfectly. None of us can love our wives as Christ of the church perfectly, but that's our standard. We, we always are growing. So there should never be a moment in your marriage where you are just static and say, well, yo, I've arrived at really loving my wife. I think I'm done. No, you keep on growing in your love. And here's a few aspects of what this love looks like. First, it's sacrificial. Sacrificial love. Again, look at verse 25. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave. Gave. John 3.16, the big one. God so loved the world that he what? He gave. You see, there's a pattern in scripture of love and giving. Giving yourself. Giving up your time. Giving up yourself. Giving up your own ideas, your own hobbies even. Jesus, what did he leave for us? He left heaven. He left friends and family. He even left his father to go to the cross for us. That's what he gave up that we might be with him. So can you give up your couch to stand up and love your wife and serve her? Can you give up even your most beloved hobby for a season, for a time to just listen to your wife? Can you give up your time, your attention, your money, your affection, your energy and give it for her? Surely we can. If Christ gave us everything, we now want to reflect him by doing the same. We should. We are called to give up sacrificially. So husbands, you should not be thinking like this. I want, how can my wife serve me? Wrong thinking. How can I give myself to my wife? How can I make her happy? How can I satisfy her? But notice what Christ gave. So he gave, but look at 25 again, as Christ gave himself up for us. That's the main thing we give. We give ourselves. So we don't just throw money at our wives. We give ourselves, how can I help you? How can I be here? How can I be an ear for you, for your needs, for your burdens? We give ourselves to our wives. And husbands, be careful of thinking only of the big things. Like, honey, I'll die for you. Okay, well, can you just help me with the, the, just picking up the towels first? Like, you know, can you start there before we do the big things? Right? That's how we die. We die in the big and the small. And here's a concept of sacrificial love I don't think we always think about is that you need to first die in your will before you will die in your actions. You have to first be crucified in your will before you'll be crucified in your actions. Jesus himself is our example. What happened at the Garden of Gethsemane? Three times he pleaded and prayed, Father, not my will be done but your will be done. What, what was happening there in the garden? Jesus was crucifying his will. He, he first died in his will before he died on the tree for us. And husbands, that's where you need to die first, in your will. I will lay down my will. I, will, I know I want to do this, but I'm going to put that to death for the sake of my wife. So husbands, have you died yet? Have you died yet? Or are you alive to your own, your own self? Have you died in your will? Have you even prayed this, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done, that I can give myself in total abandon to my family? And that's the first thing. It's sacrificial love. Secondly, it's gracious love. The love of Christ is also gracious. So this love for our wives is not dependent on her worthiness of our love. Romans 5 or 6, the classic passage, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us and died for us despite us. Not because of us, despite us. He had no, there wasn't something lovable in us that drew him to the cross. It was, he chose us, he died for us, he set his heart upon us. He died for us in our unworthiness. You see, and our husbands, we love our wives like Christ when we love her graciously. So we don't say, I will love you if, or I will love you when you start doing this or, or get this better or right. In fact, in the face of your wife's failure, you actually have the greatest opportunity to love like Christ. In the moment of her failure, in the moment of her sin, that is the key moment you can display above every other moment the love of Christ. 
by showing grace, not giving condemnation, judgment, criticism, rather showing her grace, showing her patience. Thirdly, it's also a sanctifying love. It's a sanctifying love. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So Christ gave himself for his bride to cleanse her, to, to clean her up from her sin. That's a picture of John 3, 5, the famous verse. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That water and spirit refers to Ezekiel 36, where it talks about the spirit of God is going to come. It's going to cleanse us from our idols, from our sins, and the spirit's going to dwell within us and write the law of God on our hearts. It's referring to that new covenant that's going to be put on us. And that's the picture. When we are saved, we are cleansed, we are washed. But again, that, there's not just that once-off cleansing. What does the scripture say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. There's an ongoing cleansing from our sins as we pro- progress in our lives. Revelations 19, verse 7 to 8, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's part of the splendor, sanctification, that we live practical holiness on earth. And the place where Christ wants to bring us is verse 27. We present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, any such thing. She might be holy and without blemish. And what does he use to do that? In verse 26, look again, it says, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So we were born again through the word of God. And now the word of God continually sanctifies us. John seventeen seventeen, the prayer Jesus praying for all of us, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So husbands, this should be one of your main goals in your marriage. To prepare your wife to meet Jesus. That's why one of the reasons she should be married is I want to prepare this woman for judgment day. Like Christ, he doesn't just think, we shouldn't just be thinking of our wife's temporal needs, but of her eternal needs, her spiritual needs, to be ready for Jesus, ready for her true bridegroom. Single people, this should be a reason for you to marry. I want to cleanse and wash my prospective wife with the word. I want to, I want to disciple her. I want to lead her and lead her to growth. So a basic question to ask is this. Is my wife a better Christian because of me or despite me? That's a test. Is she a better Christian because of my input and my value and my prayers and my leading and my, sanctifi- my, my washing of her with the water? Or is she a better Christian because the Lord is using me to grow this fruit of patience? That's the only thing I'm good at in this marriage. Very practically, husbands, lead your wife in reading the Bible. Lead her there. Say, come, let us, let us pray together. Let us read together. Let us study this. What does God's word say about this? You have this issue, you have this problem. Have you thought about what promises in the Bible can lead you to trust God? Husbands, do that. Not just at family worship. Not just at the family table. During the day. It's like the, the story I heard of one woman on YouTube. As she, was, she had five children. She was fuming. She was angry. And she dropped the kids off somewhere. She went to the shops and she was just calling her husband angry and upset with, with the children. And her husband just asked a simple question. Now, I'm going to say, try this at your own risk, husband. Okay? He asked this question. Have you prayed about that? The finger was on the red button there, like ready to hang up and say, you're not listening to me. I want to vent. I want to just unload my anger, right? And then in hindsight, she realized that was the right answer. She was rushing to people, rushing to other things, rushing instead of rushing to God in prayer. See, the husband, that's a very practical thing. Lead. Do you pray alone for your wife? 
If nobody is praying for your wife, you should. You should be praying for your wife on a daily basis. Father, sanctify her. Draw her heart to you. Incline her heart to your word, Lord, and not to selfish gain. Pray that daily for your wife, husbands. You must not be like Adam, waiting to see what will happen when Eve is, what happens with Eve and the serpent. Curious to see if she will eat or not, and curious to see what will be the effect of her sin. When we see a serpent slithering into the home, we should rush and crush that head of that serpent. We should be like that in our families, protecting our wives from, from even false doctrine, f- false teaching, and leading her to Christ. That's the third, is sanctifying love. Fourthly, we should love our wives as yourself love, as yourself love. Look at verse 28 verse, and, and to 30. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, it almost seems like it was a downgrade. It began with love your wives as Christ of the church. And now suddenly it says love your wife as yourself. Doesn't it almost seem like a lesser command? Like, but if you look further, you see that this is exactly the same way Christ loves us. Again, in verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So when we love us, our wives as ourselves, we love in the same way Christ loves us. Christ nourishes, cherishes us because we are part of his body. We are one body with him, and that's why he cares for us and loves us. So Paul is communicating something very simple. Husbands, you are not separate from your wife. The third step, the weaving, the leaving, cleaving, and the weaving. Weaving means you are no longer two. You are one flesh. So that whatever you do to your wife or whatever you neglect to do to your wife, you do to yourself. You hurt yourself. And that's the point here is that as you take care of your physical body, men, so take care of your your wife's needs. Okay, think about things like this. If you are, what do you do when your body is hungry? Especially as a man. Come on, guys, don't die on me. <laughs> you rush to the fridge or you rush to the restaurant. You rush, right? You need to eat. What do you do when you're tired? Okay, you sleep. Okay, hopefully not when you're driving. All right, but what do you do? Your body has desires, your body has needs, and then you carefully plan, you carefully ensure that your needs are satisfied and now the bible just says do that to your wife whatever her needs are provide that seek to give that to her right so just by providing for her think about is she is she just tired give her room give her space to rest is she overwhelmed how can you provide for her rest how can you provide for her to cast her anxieties on the lord does she battle with a particular sin Maybe you can buy her a book or lead her into a book that you can read together to start reading on that problem, that issue that you can help with. Does she need a break from the kids? Take What would you have done if you were in her shoes, right? Load the kids, go alone, and play with them for an hour or two. You might not understand why fixing the leak tap is so important to her or to you or, or to your wife until you've realized that she's been standing there and it now feels like Chinese water torture, and that's why the water is driving her crazy. Like, just fix it, okay? So again, put your, the idea is put yourself in your wife's shoes. Love her as if you were her. And it says those two words. What does this mean? Two words in verse 29. We nourish and cherish our wives. Nourish simply means basically to feed, to feed, to provide. Cherish literally means provide warmth, give her warmth. So therefore, the idea is to provide your, your resources as well as your affection, your presence. Basically, the definition of love, right? Listen to this great commentary. It says, the husband is to warm his wife with his affection, which comes through in the way he spends time with her, speaks about her, so that she feels safe and loved in his presence. This means to be kind to her, to be patient with her, to, to, to frequently compliment her on how beautiful she is. 
to say often the words, I love you. We shouldn't be like the husband when the wife asked, do you love me? And he said, yes, I told you at our wedding, if it ever changed, I'll let you know. Okay. No, we should not be like that. We should say, I love you frequently, liberally. You can cherish your wife even when you are not at home by sending her a quick message saying you're thinking about her, you're longing for her, you want to come back to her. That's how you can keep on cherishing, providing warmth. Negatively, to cherish our wives means we need to take out the weeds of bitterness, the weeds of harshness. I think this is a common thing that happens in many relationships is there are issues in the marriage that is never dealt with, never talked through, and it's like a heap of filthy laundry, and it just never gets done. And then the smallest thing provokes someone, and they just snap at each other. Now, that snapping is not that that small thing is so provocative. It is that there's a whole mountain behind that, wed- that marriage that hasn't been forgiven. The parallel, there's another parallel, Colossians 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them literally the greek is embittered don't be embittered towards your wife so husbands have you really forgiven your wife for her failures or is that is that one thing she did or that or that repetitive thing she does that you just keep keeps on being in the front of your mind you say i will not forget i'll stay committed to you but i'm not going to be affectionate to you i'm not going to give my presence to you because you have done this to me. Perhaps that might just be a conversation you need to have with your wife. Perhaps your wife doesn't even know what she's done. That's the greatest catastrophe in any marriage. Like one pastor, when a couple came forward and they asked for biblical counseling, say, please help us with our marriage. The pastor simply asked the husband, okay, tell me what bothers you about your wife? And he started listing things, started mentioning things. And the wife looked so shocked. Honey, I didn't even know those things bother you. Knowing there's always two sides of a story, he turned to the wife. So can you tell me what bothers you of your husband? And she starts listing things. And the husband looks at her and shocked and says, Honey, if you just ask me, if you just tell me, if you just have spoken to me, I would have gladly. So a breakdown in communication often is a breakdown in true forgiveness, true True grace, to give one another grace as well. Husbands, our love for our wives should be like the Lord's love, that is, and mercies that are new every single morning. When, when the sun rises, our heart should be clean, cleaned from the past fights, past conflicts. shouldn't be brought up over and over again in our current arguments. And So this is so crucial because if that is not forgiven, you cannot move forward. You cannot... I love this quote as well. Um, It says, A good marriage is made of not two people acting toward each other perfectly, but two people forgiving each other consistently. That's, That's a key to a good marriage. Not two people acting perfectly to each other, but people who forgive each other consistently. Let me close with this. Perhaps one of the biggest reasons you are not the man you should be, the husband you should be, or perhaps even some of you single people here, not wanting marriage, not pursuing marriage, is because of your failure, your guilt, or your sense of unworthiness to be a man, to be a husband, to be a father. Maybe that's just like a crushing burden on your back and I think you will all agree if we just looked at these especially us who have been married Proverbs 20 verse 9 gives us this idea it says who can say I have made my heart pure I am clean from my sin who of us can do that who of us as men who of us as husbands can say I've been I've not failed my wife I've not ever stopped being faithful to her every single moment of my life And I suspect this, that that's the weight on many men, many husbands, many single men. The weight of failure, the weight of um, guilt. And listen, this is what you should do. Is to look at this passage and realize that whatever here is commanded 
for us as husbands is first always true of Jesus' love for you. So when it says, husbands love your wives as Christ of the church, guess who's in that us, right? That, that church, it's you. You have a head. You have a savior that has loved you sacrificially, graciously, patiently, never gives up, so committed that if you sin seven times a day, forgive it. If you come running back to him, he accepts. And so husbands, when we, when we fail, not if we fail, when we fail, go to Christ. Run, run to him. He loves you. He is your head. He will be your savior. He will change your heart, your brokenness as a man, your brokenness as a husband, as a father, whatever it is. He can heal you. But go to him and re rely on that unchanging grace, everlasting grace for you first. And let that so impact you as a man that it starts overflowing into your wife. Let the fountain of love first be received from Christ himself. And then let that just reflect and flow into your family. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we come to you as broken people, both men and women, Lord, both of us. We've sinned against you. We failed. We've fallen short of your glory in more than one way. Lord, thank you that you loved us first. You gave up yourself, not because we were worthy or because we were obeying you or seeking you even. Lord, you sought us in our deadness. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We were following after our own passions, our own desires. But Lord, then you came and you saved us and you changed our hearts. And I pray for those maybe even here this afternoon that are still lost, has still not found Christ, found him, the source of all joy, the source of all security, satisfaction, and forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to Christ, draw them right at this moment to yourself, that they might focus on him and let that love that Christ has given us overflow into our love for our wives and our family. Father, help us as husbands, help us as men, not to be passive, not to make excuses, but to truly look to Christ, follow him, and by the power of the Holy Spirit to obey this passage. We pray this for your namesake.